You're listening to an Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. everyone and thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come to this event. Before we start, I'd like to um, say an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the people of the Eastern Kulin. We pay our respects to their future. We also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands where anyone is listening to a recording of this event. Sovereignty has never been ceded. Um, so some of you may or may not know, the M Pavilion theme for February is rituals. When I was curating this event, I thought about the role that rituals played in our lives. We use them to maintain connections to each other, to honor our history, and to mark a moment in the present in order to build towards the future. Um, I came across an article written by Joseph Lam for the South China Morning Post about the rise of Asian-Australian podcasting during the past two years and realize that in a way, rituals have done for humans what podcasting has done for Asians. Our shared experiences help us maintain connection to each other. When we embrace our cultures and identities, we celebrate our histories. When we observe what the reality is for Asians in Australia, um, today it helps us to build a stronger future. So those thoughts were the first seeds of what has grown into the event that we're at today. And on that note, I would like to introduce the three amazing Asian-Australian podcasts who have so kindly agreed to collaborate with us on the event. Jeff and Isabella from As I Am. Tiana and Tui. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Tiana and Tui from Unapologetically Asian. And Jay from Shoes Off. I also want to give a quick mention to Nianta and Angela, whom this event would not be. Um, as a little rundown of how this event will go, for the next hour, there'll be an open conversation with everyone in the circle, led by myself and the podcasters. Um, there'll be micro a microphone floating around, so if you have a thought or a question, please feel free to jump in by raising your hand so that a microphone can be passed to you. Um, and this is an open conversation, so we would love to hear from as many voices as possible. Afterwards, we'll break this big circle into smaller groups so that you guys have the opportunity to have your own conversations prompted by this QR code, which, when scanned, will take you to a PDF of some conversation starters um, that have been created for today. Uh, finally, something that's come up in the course of curating this event is that these conversations are an act of intimacy as well as, well as vulnerability. Um, there are not often spaces created or claimed for Asians to voice these experiences freely in Australia, sometimes because you feel um, of being disruptive, sometimes because you don't have the language for it, sometimes because you don't always have people to talk about it. Um, 
So I want to make a point of saying to approach the conversation with open-mindedness and compassion for one another and their experiences, even if you can't necessarily relate to all of them, because this is a safe space and that's important. Um, so on that note, I'd like to begin the conversation by asking our podcaster, what does that mean to you? <laughs> Hello. Oh, wow, that's really loud. <laughs> that's a bit. Oh, wait, hold it close. There we go. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Jeff. And, you know, this is a big question because all our podcasts are built around the idea of what is the Asian Australian experience. And the more I think about it, the more I think it's important to recognize it as an opportunity. And it's an opportunity for us to define what that actually means. I think, like myself, a lot of people are first-generation Asian Australians. And there hasn't been a precedent set before us about what that can be. So it's a really exciting time where we can sort of acknowledge the past and what our parents have brought over, but also recognize that we're in a new space. It's, it's Australia. It's not the same as China or Vietnam or wherever you may be from. But yeah, it's an opportunity. Beautiful. Tian and Tui or Jay, do you have any thoughts? Nah, you said it like perfectly. I totally 100% agree. Everyone has each their own each unique experience and, you know, it's it spans across what culture you're from, what sort of background you're from. Um, but, yeah, I actually really never occurred to me. We are the first, I guess, this is the first time we're experiencing this, like this Asian-Australian experience. It's very, very new and it's up to us to kind of like navigate through that without anyone assisting us. We can only help each other. So... It's cool how you have these sort of experiences and spaces for us to do that, but yeah. Um, something that came up while we were having conversations before in the lead up to this event was that, like like Jeff said, um, it hasn't been done before. So um, I guess have you? How do you feel about being the first people to? be doing that work, maybe like reconciling generational things or do you find it frustrating? Do you find it exciting? Sorry, should we um, maybe expand the circle oh, and yeah, include yeah. some new friends? <laughs> Always room for more in the circle. Can answer your question. Yes, Jay, please. Um, I actually don't know if we're the first. True, Ooh, true. Gee, yeah, true. I feel like there's been Asians. I mean, Chinese people came in like the 1800s, so they've been here a long time. I think uh, they've probably just been more, a little more under the radar or less vocal than we are today. Um, but I spoke to someone in their like 40s or 50s, and he came up to me when he heard I was doing the podcast, and he's like. When you have a chat, like I feel like I've had really many similar experiences to you, and I was like, okay, cool. So yeah, it's, it's, I don't. I think we're probably the ones who who are wanting to be more public about it, but I, I think it's been going on for a, a long time. Actually, good point. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, well, we're in the social media age. True, we have a larger part. Of, yeah, that's true. We're definitely not easier to share these experiences. I remember I was talking to my cousin. Um, during New Year's and I was telling them, oh yeah, I have a podcast and it's about my Asian, uh, my experience growing up Asian Australian. They'll, and 
he's like 40 years old, so a lot older than I am. And he was like, oh, I wish I had that growing up. Like, that's cool how you have this platform where you can share these experiences and other people can listen on as well. And I'm like, ah, interesting. That's good to know that I'm kind of doing something like useful and valuable to people. But um, yeah, it'll be cool. I haven't, yeah, haven't really spoken to many people from the earlier generations who are Asian Australians and have these sort of experiences too. Only people, I've only ever talked about it with people like our age. Hmm. Um, hi. Um, yeah, I was just going to expand on that and, you know, I think talk about, um, you know, the rise of podcasts as a platform. And I think, you know, when Jeff and I started As I Am in 2020, I think it really was one of those moments when, I mean, at least for me, podcasting kind of was a medium that I consumed quite often. So I think it's been really cool to, you know, feel like there's been a you know, recent rise in Asian kind of advocacy. But 100%, you know, to expand on Jay's point, I think this has been something that's been happening for a really long time. But hopefully, you know, with these rise of platforms like podcasting, you know, it feels like we do have a bigger voice and, you know, hopefully more impact through that. Um, but yeah, it's been great though. I also feel like um, for the first time, I've been exposed to the kind of language to be able to talk about it because I'm sure I've gone through a lot of the same experiences, but they didn't quite know how to reconcile it emotionally or um, mentally within themselves, mentality or sentiment to talking about it like there is now. How, when you first started, how did you know or how did you figure out how to begin having these conversations? Like, did you feel you had the sort of framework already or where did you get it from? So I think we probably, us three, we probably all feel, felt some sort of dissonance of being Asian in Australia. And my guess is there are previous generations that have as well, but haven't had the chance to explore that either because they haven't been around people to have the discussions with or um, there's just been a mentality of like heads down, get shit done. And we're lucky in, in the sense that, well, me personally, I grew up with a lot of other Asian people. I don't know if you guys are the same. Um, so that definitely helps because you have shared experiences already. But another part is we have exposure to, like you said, with social media generation, we have exposure to lots of people's thoughts and ideas. So we're seeing how other people are deconstructing race or trying to understand racial experiences, not just in Australia. And I think that's probably helped us a lot. <clears throat> Hello. Um, to be honest, I feel like, you know, um, you kind of, Louise, you mentioned that, like, how did we begin the conversations? Um, we kind of just started speaking to each other about, like, things that we normally talk about with our friends, right? And I guess we fill this void or fill this gap. It was a really big learning pro um, process. I don't know how, if you guys agree, but I don't think we've ever come from a place where we're like, we know, we like a equipped with the toolkit or the language, like you said before, to have these conversations. But the more we spoke about it, the more we learned about other people's experiences when they wrote in about how they grew up Asian Australian, the more we kind of understood that, okay, this is like a huge learning experience for us as well. Um, and that's definitely something that's been really exciting as we continue the podcast is learning from other people's experiences. Um, that's really, that's, what a lovely thought do you, something that I have 
struggled with personally is feeling like it's or feeling comfortable having these conversations with Asian Australian allies. So people who don't have the same experiences to go off of. Um, what, what experiences did you have having these conversations with Asian Australian allies? I think it's, um, it's a tough one where you have to put yourself out there to some extent because it's, if you're not willing to engage in that conversation, sometimes it's difficult to... You have to almost put yourself out there. And I think podcasting at the start, it is so scary. Like just to talk about that whole initial startup experience, I do not want to listen to our first episode ever again. <laughs> just the, the nerves recording the intro maybe 20 times because... Like, I don't, know, I don't know about you guys, but when you see the, in your recording software, you see the audio wave just move and you know that your voice is being captured, that is terrifying. Like, uh, you really invite people. The first time it really felt like we were on to something or we were doing something that was correct was when we got our first listener DM and just someone being able to open up in that conversation and that leads to more conversations and you're spreading whatever your experiences are, whatever facts that you understand. You're providing knowledge, you're providing power to people. And then I think invites them to sort of pass that on. It's like a little bit like a ripple effect. Mm. Um, is there anything about Asian culture that you feel you guys feel is misunderstood or you wish more people knew about? Just um, it can be something that you wish were celebrated more or something that you think is cool you want to share. Also, this question is for everyone. If you have something that you think would be cool to have space for right now? Asia is a really big continent and our experiences aren't all the same. That's what I'd like people to know. I, I mean, I'm even sure that like mine as like a Chinese, Malaysian, Australian is different from yours as a Vietnamese, Australian. And so even though we, we probably still have a lot of similarities as Asian Australians, I think there's still a lot of differences there. What about your, um, is there a Chinese, Malaysian dish? that you really love? Yes. Go on, called, tell us. <laughs> don't star me. It's called um, Bopia. It is like, it's like a, it sounds gross, but it's not. It's an uncooked spring roll sort of thing. If that's, that's how you can picture it in your head. And it's stuffed with turnip. And what else? Help me. I think it's turnip and other things. <laughs> and sauce. It's great. Uh, you can't get it here. I've, I've, Are making it? No. <laughs> Bit of a cop out, but probably for. Um, I think it's just one of those dishes where it's like breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Um, you can have it any time of the day. Um, but I guess just to answer your question on, um, you know, what are the things that you know we we wish that other um, Asian Australians knew, or no, sorry, what other people outside the community knows. Um, I think you know to expand on Jay's point. I think he's right. You know, Asia or the Asian identity isn't a monolith, and I think often when you look at like Asian media and representations of Asians. Um, on our screens, it's very much confined to East Asians and Southeast Asian. I think we should be, you know, more active in kind of expanding that definition to encompass, you know, West Asian, South Asians. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a kind of like holding two troops at once, right? On the one hand, to have like the word Asian in itself, you know, you kind of create this monolith and you kind of overlay all these very unique cultures that are present in the Asian continent. But at the same time, it also gives us the vocabulary to talk about, you know, certain shared experiences of, you know, internalised racism or colorism. So it's one of those things where I think, you know, we can operate under this banner of Asian Australian, but, you know, be vocal and be, you know, very 
persistent about broadening that definition to be inclusive of, you know, multiple, you know, de- uh, ranges of ages and identities, like mixed, a- uh, mixed race Asians or, yeah, I think it's much more confined, so much more broad than just South Asians or um, Southeast Asians. Chicken rice. <laughs> that was probably the question I spent the most time thinking about on the way here. <laughs> I was going through the list and I was like, this is the hardest question you can really ask someone. Your question, I think to make our decisions and that it's really hard to break away from that upbringing. I think as an example, always considering intergenerational guilt, understanding and how that impacts the decisions that we can make in life and to some extent being a bit more understanding of it. I definitely had some arguments with friends um, not from Asian backgrounds where they're like, why don't you just do this? Like do something that you enjoy, but they don't understand. It's like you have to consider in many cases the struggle, like the struggles that your parents have gone through, that your grandparents have gone through, and how that like trickles down into your decision making. So that would be something that I'd like people to acknowledge a bit more. Mm, interesting. Tian and Tui, do you have any thoughts? Hello. Um, I don't know. Sorry, I always say hello. As <laughs> the microphone just stopped working. Um, BBH, guys. Um, if you if you like pho, then you'll like BBH. It's um, you know spicy. Got a got a personality. It's good. It's, good. <laughs> it's a good soup, um, and I think it's pretty underrated. I, I definitely agree with what um, what everyone's kind of said about how um, in Asia itself, it, there's so many different like what it's it's kind of beautiful in a way because it's like we all share similar experiences. Like we've all, you know, even what, what um, how you started this conversation. Where can everyone take off their shoes? That's like so. It's such a small thing but it's so beautiful that most Asian households is like take off your shoes when you get in right but then there's also so many different differences between us and I think those differences should be celebrated and those different example is the other day thing um so she works in corporate and um she was sitting in a meeting and they were celebrating Lunar New Year um but instead of calling it Lunar New Year they called it Chinese New Year and they kept you know of course Chinese people celebrate it um, and they used a lot of Chinese sayings and um, and she she spoke to me about it. She was like, she actually wrote um, an email to um, the people that organised it and said, you know, I felt a bit like I wasn't included in this conversation because, you know, not only do Chinese people celebrate it, but so do Korean people and so do Filipino people. And there's so many different cultures that you've kind of left out of this conversation. It's great that you're making a step in this direction to include this celebration, but, you know, th- there are more things that you can do to include everyone. And so I, I was like, go, mom!" like, you know. <laughs> um, I felt pretty proud that she, like, had that voice to be able to say how she actually feels. And, yeah, it's cool. So hopefully with the conversations that we have, like this one, we can still open the door, even if it's slightly, to more conversations. And then you'll go out and have conversations with your friends about these things and then... Hopefully there'll be like a ripple effect. So, anything to add? Sorry, can I um, add on to that actually? So, hi everyone, my name's Zoe. Um, I'm, I used to be part of, or kind of still part of as I am. <laughs> um, so I'm a primary school teacher and we also celebrated sort of Lunar New Year the other day. And I think it's so important, especially with the younger generation, to start with education and I made a point um, when we were them <laughs> that Lunar New Year is Chinese New Year and I think that's just because no one's ever corrected them 
Um, no one's ever actually told them. And that's not their fault. Like, it's, they're not to blame. Um, so, yeah, I made sure to remind all the students. I was like, it's not just Lunar New Year. Like, a lot of Asian countries will celebrate this holiday. So, it is called Lunar New Year. And I think that's, you know, the beginning of it, hopefully, to change those, those problems. <laughs> Um, I, f I feel that something that I learned when I got to Australia, because I only moved here a few years ago, um, I was surprised to learn that not a lot of, not all Asians feel included in that term, Asian. It was interesting talking about how inclusivity can differ e even within the Asian community. So I'd like to like open this question to the Southeast Asians or the South Asians in the room, do you identify with it? Or are there other terms, umbrella terms that you identify more with? Or what are, what are your thoughts? Because um, when I was talking to Jay, he asked me, he was like, do, do you identify with Asian? I was like, whoa, yes, absolutely I do. Like, I know that people don't often think of Filipinos, which is what I am, um, immediately when they consider, when they talk about Asian people because I feel like most of the time the representation is of East Asian people, especially in the media. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that I myself don't identify the idea that you, uh, the, the definition is broader than maybe the shortcuts that your mind might make. Um, anyone, Nyanta, do you feel like speaking on this? Um, yeah, that's such a funny question because we've had so many conversations about this. Um, I feel like I want to say yes as a broad answer, but I almost feel like I don't have the right to say yes. Um, there's a bit of guilt involved in saying that I'm Asian because I have to then almost go into a geographical explanation of being like, well, India's a subcontinent, so it is part of Asia, but if someone looked at me, they wouldn't probably say that. Um, and I think that's something for me to unpack, but also a conversation that needs to be generally opened about how what you were saying about, it's just about being inclusive about Asia being a very big continent, not, um, oh, well, first of all, a continent, not just a country. Um, so I think it's coming back to it being like, yes, I do, but I feel like I would like to feel more comfortable saying yes. Do you feel more comfortable calling yourself South Asian? Um, probably just Indian because then I have to explain like where in South Asia. And I think there's also the question of like where in India and all these other, it's got so many layers to it. Um, I think it's getting asked, I think this is diverting a bit, but like just getting asked where you're from is such a big question. Um, actually, that'd be something I'd be interested to hear from someone says where you're from as well, but something that is maybe beginning to get embraced a bit more. Oh, I can go. Uh, <laughs> no, go for it. Go for it. It's, it's loaded now. It's so loaded. <laughs> it's three words that are, like, in any other context, I think would be fine. It's just the history that comes with those words. There's nothing wrong with the words themselves. I, like they're three pretty average words. Where are you from? That's four words. Sorry. Um, yeah, and and I think it 
to an extent, it doesn't matter anymore the intention behind the words just because of the history with them. Um, but I think as well, it's it's however you perceive it and take it. So if you if you choose not to take offense and just just like answer it lightly, you're probably going to have a better time with that person. But that's not necessarily how you have to. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. You don't have to be happy about it. You can be angry and you can school them and educate them. That's fine as well. How would you, like if you were curious about how someone grew up, how would you ask them? Uh, <laughs> Sorry to put this, you on the spot. There's, there's a couple of things because I have thought about this. Um, there's, there's one, on one hand, where you can ask them about their childhood. So where did you grow up or what was your childhood like? Where did you go to school? Something like that that's less direct. And they can then choose what information to give you. In which case, potentially, they don't read directly. Oh, like, what's your background? What? Yeah. But it, it's up to them whether they volunteer that information or not. So you have to give them the space to either do that or not, I think. Interesting. Did you guys... Have any ideas? Um, as a little bit of a different perspective, I spend most of my years growing up in Singapore where it's so multicultural that there wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't become loaded for me when someone asked because like it, it, your friends could really have been from anywhere. Um, especially because there are a lot, like also Eurasians, you know? So a lot of the cultures were celebrated um, so I, that's interesting that I came here and, you know, noticed that that is a language difference in how you talk about it. It's, there's context here for talking about people's backgrounds and it's, it's an important thing to be aware of, I feel, but... Um, I think it's because, like, generally you don't ask white people where they're from. <laughs> I think that's, that's where the... the pain comes from is the, the, the term is now loaded with you're not from Australia. Mm. That's the connotation that comes with it. Whereas I'm guessing it probably isn't the same in Singapore. Is that right? Yeah, I would say so. Um, because yeah, your white friends could be from like Norway or something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I 100% agree with that, Jay. I think the, the question never bothered me until I took a gap year and I went overseas traveling. And so you would go from Hostel to hostel, and one of the, the easiest questions. You can. Actually, I would say I'm from Australia, and that's pretty easy to accept. But so often, people would just press me for just where I was actually from, and it was like, why can't you just accept the answer that I'm giving you? And I think over the past two years, I've grown to really not enjoy that question, but I understand. I think it's not the right way to approach it. I think what you've talked about, Jay, is actually much better, where there's an option of how you and how you respond and you can choose how you feel about it. And, you know, I don't always want to like go ahead and just school someone and be like, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's just like, it's not a fun time for everyone. Sometimes you just want to have a normal conversation. So yeah, I really like that approach. Up to you. You can still school them if you want. Yeah, only sometimes, only the weekends. You know, I don't want to do it on the weekdays. <laughs> I think even the way that I've learned to answer the question has changed over the years. I remember like when I was younger, um, I would say... Like, they'd be like, oh, where are you from? And I'd be like, oh, well, my parents are from Vietnam, but, you know, I'm Australian. Um, and then I kind of, there's kind of an internal conflict where I was like, should I be, is that how I should be, like, owning my identity? Is that how I should be, you know? Um, 
And so I think now, like, if someone was to ask me, I'd be like, yeah, I'm Vietnamese Australian. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> I'm Vietnamese Australian. And, um, and if they ask, you know, if they try to prompt more about that, then um, I, you know, I'll get down to the nitty gritty. But I think at the end of the day, like everyone said, it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like, yes, some people don't go in it with this intention of offending you, but then at, but at the same time, if we've kind of grappled with that experience for so long, it's a sense of belonging, right? That's, we all want to feel like this is our home. Um, so when that kind of gets threatened, even if it's in a small way, you kind of get defensive or, yeah. I'm going to say to you. Yeah, I feel like I still have a bit of trauma when it comes to when people ask that question because I used to work um, at a bottle store in Sunbury um, and when I first started working there, it was kind of like a lot of my customers, it was like their first time seeing an Asian person and it was like the immediate question was like, oh, where are you from? And my answer would always be, oh, like straight up I'd say, oh, I'm born in Australia. Like I always have to start with I am born like in Australia, that I am, you know, Australian. And then I'd wait for them to kind of follow up with the, you know, where are you really from? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, my parents were born, um, came over from Vietnam a few years back. And they're like, ah, oh, yes, I see, I see, I see. And I noticed that, um, like, I, I, it, it's, it's weird because... Um, I felt like I was being treated differently when I was working. Like my customer, like some of the customers would be in the store and like they'll perhaps speak to other customers who are also from the same background as them um, with like a cheery smile. And then they'll turn to me and suddenly their expression would change. Um, not everyone, of course, not everyone did that, but there was a lot of people who treated me that way. And I just felt like the first thing that came to my mind is, oh, is it because I'm like Asian? <laughs> like, that yeah it was like since then like every time I heard that question like oh where are you from it's really hard for me not to get offended but um it's something that I'm definitely trying to give or wants to harm you anyway they're just genuinely curious and that's okay like it's totally fine I think I think we need to like be conscious of the difference between impact and intent so if you accidentally drive into someone's car you didn't intend to crash into them but you still made an impact. And it, I think it's still on them a little bit. Um, it's it's up, up to us whether we want to tell them or not. But um, I don't think you need to feel defensive of like, of, of like wanting to protect them because they have good intentions. You have every right to feel, fuck you. <laughs> um, yeah, on that note as well, going off of this car analogy for a lot of, uh, Asians or minorities it's your car has already been crashed into so many times so for that person crashing into you it, it may seem like a small bump or like I've never hurt you before so um, they don't have the context of you have all this trauma still from growing up with these experiences even if they're microaggressions um, that's something that I, I wish more allies understood about the Asian Australian experience is that sometimes a small event or situation, like there's so much more to it that fuels your reaction. You can, you can educate in like a happy and nicer way, but it does take like more of you to be like the bigger person to be like, oh, so like do the conversation. You can 
do it. It just have to come out with that is like, it takes work. Yeah. It's an option. Yeah, yeah, You don't yeah. have to do it. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I totally agree. Um, and I think, I mean, as you said, when we were talking before, like if you feel like getting frustrated, that's also a valid thing to feel. Um, and I think eventually, personally, it'd be nice to get to the point where I have the emotional stamina to be able to react like that. But, you know, these are really hard things to go through. So if, if you go to a anxious survival point, like I wouldn't, I would totally understand as well. Um, so on that note, are there, is there anything, or what do, you, what do you guys feel like the culture of allyship has been like for you guys growing up in Australia? I just wanted to quickly go back um, to your point before about, you know, like raising things, especially when you're faced with microaggressions. It's hard because sometimes I find that, especially in the workplace, and something's been said to you when you experience microaggression, half the time you want to call it out, you want to, you know, explain it to them, school them. Um, but at the same time, like, you also want to preserve that space. And I think sometimes the onus falls, you know, very burdensomely on people of colour or people of minority backgrounds who experience that microaggression to, like, fight back, because sometimes you just don't want to. Um, the other day at work, actually, um, <laughs> we, like, had, like, a trivia, and um, it was kind of like... It was like a... I forgot the actual name, but it's one of those things where you're given categories and you have to kind of, like, answer, um, you know, the answers with a certain letter. So, for example, oh, name, like, you know, a country, name a city and there were all these different categories, and one of them was uh, diseases. And someone had written down, like, Wuhan virus. And I just remember, like, taking a step back, and people were laughing at this answer, by the way. Um, but I remember taking a step back and being like, oh, my God, what do I do? Like, I'm quite new here. Um, do I call this out? And it's hard because I'm still grappling with that decision. I decided to stay quiet in the end because I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to ruffle any feathers. I don't know these people too well. But, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like the burden was placed on me to school them and to kind of be like, hey, that's not okay. But at the same time, like, I was really quite offended by this and I was quite hurt by this, that I felt like I didn't really have the energy to expand on that and to kind of, like, you know, call them out on it. So it's hard because, on this, you know, on the one hand, I really do want to cultivate a culture where, you know, you can call people out in a safe space and feel like they are being receptive, but at the same time, it depends on the context, right? If it's in a workplace, it's much harder to navigate through that. Um, I don't know if you guys have similar experiences in the workplace or in other areas, but yeah, I, I, that's something I'd love to kind of you know, learn more about, just being able to kind of like have that courage to call people out, even though you're shit scared, um, especially about the repercussions, right, um, in a workplace in particular. I, I think that's probably... Yeah, that's a really shitty situation. It's probably why allyship's important. Imagine if you had someone else there who called it out for you and you'd have just like felt such relief of like, thank God someone else noticed that and not just me. And um, I think, I don't know, I've, I think I've been pretty lucky that I've surrounded myself with people who are better with that stuff and people of colour. But yeah, I agree. It's, it's shitty situations and it sucks when you don't have those allies. Like, I, I, I resonate with your experience. Um, the other day I was... Um, with a group of friends and we were having a meal together. Um, and, you know, I, I'm the only Asian in the group and there were, um, you know, we had some white friends and then we also had um, a Lebanese person as well in the group. And, um, and they made a joke, um, a joke, <laughs> um, and used like an Asian accent. Um, and at that time, I kind of, I felt like, 
I felt oh, like, gosh, I should call this out because, you know, this is everything I stand stand for, right? Or goes against everything I stand for. Like, I, th this kind of casual racism or this kind of these microaggressions that occur, like, it doesn't sit right with me. But at the same time, I kind of felt like, oh, I don't want to ruffle feathers. It's, it's they're my friends. Like, you know, it's just a joke. And then I kind of thought to myself, why am I trying to, like, protect, like, how they might feel versus how I feel? Like, I put so much emphasis on, okay, like, no, it'll make it awkward for them or it will be uncomfortable for them. But really, like, I didn't prioritise, like, hey, this is uncomfortable for me. Um, and, you know, maybe I should speak up about it as well. And, yeah, like you said, Jay, like, it would maybe it would have been nice if someone else in the group said, hey, like, you know, you shouldn't say that or, hey, like, maybe that's going a bit too far. But I think that's, to answer your question, Louise, that's probably something that we would hope that allies would be able to do, right? We'd hope that they'd be able to kind of, you know, they don't have to, you know, say, oh, you man, you know. Um, so, yeah, and I also think a part of it is, um, and I know that this isn't common with, or I know this isn't across all um, Asians, but there is this kind of sense of people pleasing and there is this sense of trying to save face and trying to, like, I don't know about you guys, but like my parents would be like to me, oh, Tiana, like, you know, um, don't keep your head down, like don't, um, don't talk back, don't talk back. And I guess that also was another part of it as well on how I responded. But yeah, definitely something that is internal inside of me that I, I keep thinking about is like, okay, so what is the, what is the way that we should be responding to these situations? Mm. No, I think that's really interesting because the instinct to keep your head down is a self-preservation instinct, if anything, because if, especially if you're a minority in the room, then you don't want to alienate yourself by defending yourself, which is really hard line to tread and hard decision to make. So yeah, I, it's, that's definitely a shitty thing to go through, but I also identify with it. Um, and I think another thing that um, on less of a, has less of a negative experience, I wish more people had shown interest <laughs> or like even asked me that question like, oh, you know what, like, is it, is it worse for you being Asian in Australia? Like to have that awareness and curiosity to be the first one to talk about or I'd like to see allies be doing more because yeah, it's, it is a lot of burden to be the first one to one, like draw attention to yourself like that, especially if you're nervous about it. Um, but on another note, like you could celebrate it as well, especially food wise. Like we had all these stories about food to share and um, it's such an easy thing to do is just show curiosity in others. Yeah, do you, anyone have any thoughts on that? Um, I guess just to briefly expand on that, um, you know, and I think it's something I've been thinking about recently where I think I, I'd like to kind of reframe the Asian identity experience is one that's kind of beyond trauma. Like I think a lot of the times, you know, and I think that's a big reason why Jeff and I started this podcast is because we had a lot of shared experiences and that was mainly born out of internalised racism growing up feeling other than Australia. Um, but, you know, there's so much more to the Asian identity than trauma. Like I think there's so much to celebrate and there's like a plurality of different cultures within Asia that's so, you know, rich and beautiful. And I think, you know, food is definitely an amazing kind of gateway to that. Um, and I think probably it's something that's the most accessible, especially here in Melbourne. 
How beautiful. Um, did you guys have any thoughts on, to revisit the question from earlier, like what the culture of allyship was like? Or actually, let's hold space right now to like celebrate something from your culture. I would like to celebrate in Philippines, we go all out for Christmas and um, everyone, or well, not everyone, but there's this paper star that you make as a decoration and it's really beautiful and they're really like, I like the aesthetic of it. I just wish more people knew about it. They're so fun to make. Actually, Disney did a short film about it this year or last year, I think, as part of the promotion for Kaya or Raya and the Lost Dragon or something. Um, yeah, I'd, I just want to share that with you guys. Um, one thing about my culture, so I'm from a Vietnamese background. Um, I really love the community aspect of the Vietnamese culture. I mean, Vietnamese, yeah, Vietnamese culture. Um, I think growing up, um, so my, for a bit more context, my family, my parents were from an island off the coast of Vietnam. And when they uh, moved over from Vietnam to Australia, them and like a lot of other people from the island, we really kept that sense of community and we helped each other out a lot. And it just felt like I had this big, massive family and I loved that. And also noticed like my parents, whenever we'll be out on the streets, like, you know, um, like shopping at the shopping center, if my mom came across another Vietnamese person, like, it just felt really easy for her to talk to them, even though they were complete strangers. Like, I thought, I was like, oh, maybe that's another family friend that I don't know of. But turns out it was a complete stranger. But it's like this sense of community between um, Vietnamese people and other Vietnamese people that was like really warming, like warm and welcome. And like, yeah, I love that. I wish, um, wish everyone could feel the same way. Yeah. That's so funny because my mom is the same with Filipino yeah, people. Right. Like, they can spot a Filipino yeah, person. Like, like, a crowd a of like hundreds crowd, of like, yeah. yes. These people. They're like, or maybe. <laughs> One thing that we do is we, we pray to our ancestors. Um, I think there's a beauty in basically acknowledging that whilst you have family members that have passed away, they're never completely gone and they're always watching over you. And I feel like for me, I've never met any of my great grandparents, but I know so much about them. I've prayed to them. I'm not particularly religious or superstitious, but it allows you to recognize that lineage and where you come from. And I feel like that connection is really awesome. Oh, beautiful. Uh, to extend the Vietnamese culture, um, something I love is karaoke. Um, I don't know if there are any Vietnamese in the room beyond uh, Tuintiana, but yeah, we go hard. Um, and it's very funny um, how intensively my parents and family would prepare and rehearse months on end before, you know, a party and whatnot. It's all around kind of food, but especially karaoke, which is really fun. They rehearse their karaoke. Yeah, yeah. They're full, oh. they, they have like the full on amps. They have the microphones. It's incredible. Yeah. I thought they were rehearsing their singing. They're just... The setup or the singing? Oh, or both? Both. Everything. Oh, everything. Wow. It's like a full like dress rehearsal. We had like a New Year's party um, like this year and uh, yeah, we had like a karaoke thing and yeah, it, was, it went off. <laughs> Girl, I feel you. My parents, they love the karaoke. There have been so many times where I'm like recording with Tiana and then I'm, I have to apologize. I'm like, sorry, my parents have turned on the karaoke again. I'm sorry <laughs> if you can hear it in the background, like happens all the time. But yeah, love the karaoke. Um. Is there anyone else from the audience that would like to share? Obviously, you don't have to. Sweet and Tian and I were talking about this when we were recording the podcast. Um, being able to talk in your native language 
um, in front of people, not gossiping, but even just being like, I know about those. Um, so I think on that, I also wanted to talk about how you all connect to language in your family and is that something you share with friends and family as well? Or, yeah. Yeah, so when Zoe, my partner, we go on holiday, Chinese is always how we covertly talk about things. <laughs> just like if you're in a crowded space, you're just quietly like, oh, like, what's that? What's that? It's like you're just like talking shit about that. It's not necessarily designed for talking shit, but that's naturally how the tool gets used. But um, I think, yeah, when you go back home, you go back to China, you have that shared common way of like communicating with them, which is beautiful, I think, yeah. I actually, since I grew up away from Philippines, I don't speak it very well, but I can understand it because my parents would exclusively talk to me in Filipino. Um, so I think it's a really interesting and wholesome way to reconnect with your, you know, like your heritage. Like I, I go back now and I wish that I'd grown up speaking it more, um, which is so different to a lot of like, maybe like embarrassed or shameful experiences I've had. It's something really simple to be able to connect to and yeah, I, I envy you guys for being able to speak it. And I, I know that you guys went to like Vietnamese and Chinese school, which is not that I know of a thing for Filipinos, but you bet your ass it'll be something for my kids <laughs> to be doing. It was pretty painful. Did you go to Viet school as well? Yeah, oh yeah. my gosh. Did you like it? <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah. it was one of those things where like, I, I went from like, you know, they really wanted me to learn it. and I, But I was there from like prep to year 10. Um, and, you know, I remember thinking like, oh my God, all my white friends are like playing tennis, they're playing sport or they're going to this and that. And I'm stuck at school for three hours. Um, but obviously in hindsight, like I'm so immensely grateful for that because I can speak to my people, I can speak to my community. And um, yeah, language is so core cool to my family. And, you know, my parents don't really speak English that well. So, and my grandparents as well. So it's really nice to be able to, you know, when I do travel to Vietnam or engage with the Vietnamese community here, I think language is a huge bridge to maintaining that culture. Um, and yeah, something that I think I will push on my kids if I have them, um, and which I feel like, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. Oh, yeah, I went to Viet school as well. Oh, sorry. I hated it because um, I missed out on watching Disney Channel. <laughs> Viet school was the same time as the Disney, like a lot of Disney shows on Saturday morning and I missed out on all that. I hated it. But yeah, like you, when I grew up, I learned to... It, like really value the experience that I had when I was younger and really thankful that, you know, I can read and understand Vietnamese. Um, if it wasn't for Viet school, I wouldn't have that, um, you know, that knowledge and that skill. Do you reckon your language is getting worse though as oh, you get older? Hell, oh, yeah. oh my God, it's terrible. Because as soon as you said you could read it, I was like, that's very impressive. I can't, I can't, read, I can't read shit anymore. I can read it, but I don't understand what I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I can re pronounce the word, but um, do I know what it means? Nope. Yeah, same. I love it. Yeah. So my family, um, we speak both Cantonese and Mandarin. And the older I get, the more the two, like, converge. And I, I like, sometimes the Cantonese comes up in Mandarin and I get, like, laughed at so much by some, you get older. <laughs> and, oh, did you, um, that you find important that you want to pass on to your kids? It could be, like, a small cultural thing. I'm just curious. Um, one thing for me, for example, is uh, I had, not to totally satisfy an Asian stereotype, but I had rice available in my home like 24-7. I think we only ran out once that I can remember in my life. I didn't even question it. 
um, because Filipinos love rice until I moved to Australia and yeah, there was just no longer rice available. So what do you mean? We have rice. No, I mean, (laughs) what does rice you up? (laughs) No, um, I I moved out of home. So I was, I didn't even think to cook it myself because I was like, it's just something that was always available. It's like breathing for me. Like I was like, oh, what? I have to, I have to cook rice today. <laughs> um, anything like that for you guys? Um, okay, so going back on kind of what we said before about language, right? like I've got I've got younger cousins, so they'll be like the next gen, and um, like some of them are mixed race, so they're half Vietnamese, half Australian, um, and it's funny because like. I feel like, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the next generation just get away with so much more. Like, they, they're not forced to go to Vietnamese school and all of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, you guys are kind of lucky. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, I'm really, as you guys both touched on before, I'm very appreciative that I, I, I do love, like, I'm peppering in some Vietnamese in there, like some of the important words, like, you know. Um, and one of them, I, I was like to him, oh, so, so Ben, when you go to school, like, and, and someone asks you, you know, about your nationality or your background, like, what do you say? And he proudly said, like, oh, I'm, I'm Vietnamese and I'm Australian. And I was so proud of him. I was like, oh, my goodness, like, you know, good on you. <laughs> and, um, and I think so something that I would really want to, like, pass on to my future kids is being proud of where they come from and just being proud of our beautiful culture and being proud of being... Australian and Vietnamese or whatever, you know, other culture. (laughs) Um, One thing I wanted to add on to like the subject of language, and I feel like this is something important to raise is I find that there's this misconception or misunderstanding often that when people who don't speak your language hear people speaking in their own foreign language, they think you're always talking shit about them. And I, like, I feel uncomfortable about that. Like, people will say, like, oh, you're in Australia, you need to speak English in front of us. Like, they think that we're doing it in a way of we're trying to say something bad. But I think, you know, if I really wanted to say something bad in English, I could just whisper it either way, right? Like, I don't think it makes a difference. But I just hope that people feel less uncomfortable with the fact that, you know, people should have the right to speak in their own language. It's not out of spite that they're trying to speak their own language and say something rude about you, I guess. Can it not be translated into English? Describe the situation so perfectly that if I said it in English, it just wouldn't hit the same. Do you guys have those words too? Like an example is the word nyang, which means if you translate into English, like sickening. Like if you eat something and it's like, I would say, you know, if you eat something too much and you're kind of like sick of it or it's sickening, I'll be like, oh, it's so nyang. And then, I don't know, it just makes sense in my head. But if I was to say in English, it's doesn't, it's not like a fully equal translation. But yeah. No, I have um, in Filipino, (laughs) there's this word that I love teaching to my friends, uh, gigil, which is the feeling that you get when you see something so cute and you just want to squeeze it really hard, like it's that feeling, there's a word for it. Um, and it, yeah, I, I, that's one that I like sharing and would highly encourage adding to your vocabulary. Um, as we wrap up this conversation, cause we've, you know, been speaking for an hour now, um, for those people who like me are only beginning to engage with conversations like this, do you have, 
any advice for where to start? Um, especially because you, you all had to start somewhere with your part podcast. Um, for those of us who are maybe at the beginning of our journey. Ask questions, write down what you want to know. Um, there's a lot there's there's a lot of reading and there's also not a lot if on certain things out there. So uh, you can you can maybe find out yourself. Um, hot tip from me is like academics are like really cool because <laughs> they they especially um, you get to and stuff. Lots of questions. Do you guys have anything to add? <laughs> It's really hard to not just say uh, like, comment, and subscribe to as I am. <laughs> <laughs> Had to put in the plug there at some point. Um, I think, you know, to one of my earlier points, it's just the to be open and be vulnerable and to be comfortable with not knowing that much. I think there's a tendency to want to be correct all the time. I know for myself that is definitely the case. But I think if you can go in and just be like, I am not the subject matter expert on this topic mm -hmm. and I want to learn and I want to understand, I think that's a good mindset to enter any of those conversations and just to listen. You know, if there is, if you don't have that much to say, then just listen, you know. Um, a last thing from me is when when it occurred to me that I had these gaps in my knowledge, I turned to Instagram, <laughs> which is also how I found you guys as well. Um, odds are if someone, if you're asking these questions, there are other people who not only have asked them, but have started putting together resources. So especially on the issue of like Asian allyship with the indigenous community, there are a lot of gaps in my knowledge there. Like I would love to learn more about that. So that's my hot tip. Um, okay, well, on that note, thank you guys so much for taking the time to come and like all the conversations that we've had, they've really personally been very, very validating. Um, and uh, this is one of the first things I've done in my life that Jay said it, that would turn into a wave. Great analogy. <laughs> Great analogy. Um, so for the next half hour, um, there's the option to have the, do this activity where I've put together a PDF of conversation starters. Some of the questions are ones that came up today and some are just things in general that have been on my mind and um, my collaborators' minds. So the, how that activity will go is we'll break up the chairs, the circle chairs, um, and you guys can stay where, you, you know, just form your own groups and the QR code will link to them. And you can have your own conversations. Uh, and you can also take these home uh, if you would like to share them with the other people in your life. Yeah, thanks for coming, you guys. You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.